Good afternoon. It is Friday, August 20th. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, the uh, founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and my guest today is Sally Hogshead. Am I pronouncing that right, Sally? You are. It's Hogshead, like the head of a hog. And I know that that's actually part of your story, so why don't we jump right in, and uh, then we'll talk about your book in a few minutes. Wonderful. Well, you can imagine growing up with the last name Hogshead, I automatically was born with a unique perspective on life. I wasn't going to get by with having a, a vanilla perspective. And not only did I grow up with the last name Hogshead, but I grew up in a family of overachievers. When I was seven years old, my sister was the number one ranked swimmer in the entire world. And she went on to win three gold medals in swimming and with silver medal. And that same year when I was seven, my brother was accepted to Harvard. So I learned at an early age that being able to present a unique perspective was a valuable thing indeed. And I went into marketing, no surprise there. Um, And I started my advertising agency when I was 26 and uh, went on to work with clients like Nike and Diva and Coca-Cola and uh, wrote my first book in 2005 and published my second book, Fascinate, in 2010. And what was your first book? My first book was named Radical Careering, 100 Truths Jumpstart Your Job, Your Career, and Your Life. And I just got permission to get the book available for free. It's on my website at sallyhugshead.com slash rc. You can download a copy of this book that used to only be available in bookstores. Oh, I love it. And and in love fact, I, I am just putting together a series. Uh, I typically do once a month a series for our people who are in between successes or who perhaps, uh, you know, I used to say that they feared that they were going to be, you know, in the next round of layoffs. And I had stopped saying that for a while. But on ABC News last night, I heard that, uh, you know, the, the newly unemployed ranks are growing again, which is uh, not good news. Uh, but uh, having access to that book will be really terrific for our members. Well, tell me, tell me what led up to, to writing Fascinate, and, and where did the, the whole concept of these triggers uh, for persuasion come from? For my background in advertising, I saw that the clients that were most successful were the ones that tapped into something about them that was purely unique, something that was extraordinary. And the more that they could tap into these natural strengths, the more not, not only the more successful they could be and the more product they could sell, but the more persuasive they could be in terms of the relationship they developed as brands. And I think the true is same of us as individuals, that when we're being our most persuasive, our most influential, it's not by doing the same thing as everybody else in the room. It's figuring out what characteristics, what is it about us that makes us so inimitable that we are remembered, we're hired, we're paid more money, people want to be around us, they want to fall in love with us, they want to hear what we have to say, and most of all, they want to work with us. And as I was working on this book, Fascinate, uh, I didn't know that the concept initially was going to be uh, this word, fascination. I thought it had to do with which things we as consumers pay attention to. But once I began studying what, what, is it, what, what is it across our culture, what is it across our neurology, what is it across men and women as very different thinking beings, what is it that's consistent of what we pay attention to and, and are captivated by, I found that there are really specific traits that come up over and over and over again. It has nothing to do with marketing. It has to do with these hardwired uh, response mechanisms that we have. 
And in my book, I outline these seven triggers. I call them triggers because when you're in the presence of one of these triggers, you almost can't help but pay attention. You become so enamored with the person or the idea or the promise of the brand that you can't help but want to spend time with it and pay more money for it and, um, and uh, be as close to it as possible. And the seven triggers of assassination are power, lust, mystique, prestige, alarm, vice, and trust. And each trigger creates a very different type of response that you can take any person, any marketing message, any product, any company, any occasion, any meal in a restaurant, any greeting card, any email discussion that's fascinating, and you can figure out why it's fascinating by applying it to one or more of these seven triggers. And you can figure out how to make it more fascinating by amping up the use of one or more of the specific triggers. So uh, let's let's start with lust because this is the one that is uh, actually you, I, I'm a, a real sucker for the cover of books and and your mm. book uh, came to my attention be, very much because of your cover <laughs> and uh, for those of you who haven't uh, looked at it closely it's uh, the word fascinate is kind of sitting behind a a, a uh, blue cover and breaking through that. Um, is the word fascinate, and then in the background are these other words that uh, that Sally talked about. So, so let's start with that. Sure, uh, lust is the trigger that's not rational. It's about experience and emotion. It's about that right-brained attraction that you have when you look at a pair of shoes in the window, and you know maybe you shouldn't buy them, and maybe you can't afford them, and maybe they're just half an inch too high for comfort but you want them. And it doesn't matter how much the person next to you says, oh, you could never wear those to work. There's part of you that knows that you're going to walk into that store and try on those shoes, and you will probably walk out of that store with those shoes. And it's that same feeling that you have when you, for maybe it's a, you see a piece of thick slice of chocolate cake, or maybe it's, a, it's the feel of your favorite cashmere sweater that you're wearing or the scent of an aromatherapy candle, or a massage, or a hug, or meaningful eye contact. The lust trigger is the one that's about our senses and about our experiences. And products that use lust attract us with the promise of something more than a rational benefit. They promise us something like, for example, I just bought an iPad, one of those, uh, the the technology from Apple. I have absolutely no need for an iPad. I already have an iPhone. I have an Apple laptop. I don't need it at all, but I wanted it. (laughs) I I want to touch it. I want to feel it. I want to move it around. I want to try that navigation. And if we can use this trigger in, uh, in, in, in situations that might otherwise feel cold, and inhuman mm-hmm. and overly rational, we can become more fascinating. Well, and Apple has really and truly mastered that. But as you were talking, Sally, I got this view in my head. Back at the beginning of summer, in fact, the day the kids got out of school, we got uh, we piled everyone in the car and we drove uh, north into Georgia, and we were on our way on a camping trip. And we, you know, already had like all of our menus planned out because we were going to be cooking in the cabin. And we drove for probably 
30 miles down the road behind this truck that had a huge juicy steak on the back of the truck. And don't you know, we we absolutely could not have gotten that out of our mind. And we are real meat eaters to begin with. So, I mean, we were truly lusting after that steak. Yes, yes. But, you know, the, the people who elicit the lust trigger, it has absolutely nothing to do with sex. It has to do with they make us feel good to be around them because they make eye contact, give us a warm smile. They feel as though they're inviting us into their space. If you, you know that you use the left trigger if you respond very strongly when you walk into a restaurant and you, you, you love the feeling of the candles or the scent mm-hmm. of the food, the warmth of the ambiance. If that's something that, that is very meaningful to you and, and makes you feel closer to the person or situation or product that you're around, then you're a left person. Now, you also talk about the fact that we were actually all born knowing exactly how to persuade, and and that portion of the book you call your fascinating space. Mm. Let's be honest. Women know how to persuade. (laughs) We were born with... We were born with an extraordinary toolkit of knowing how to make bonds and how to uh, pull other people closer to us. And a lot of marketing and branding and product development has to do with rediscovering these natural qualities, this innate insight that God gave us when we were born. So much of it is instinctive. And I never overtly say this in the book because it's something that men tend to not respond to very well, but women simply... understand the art and science of fascination. And one of the ways that we know that Mother Nature understood this persuasion was um, when, if you have kids, you you may already know the incredible bond that mothers and babies have when the baby is breastfeeding. And um, as a baby's eyes develop, their their very first scent that they're capable of is um, sorry, the first sense that they're capable of is scent, and that's that they can locate the breast milk. And the first sight that they can focus on is uh, 10 to 12 inches, which is exactly the same distance of a baby's eyes to the mother's eyes that eye contact can start to develop. Because for babies, the single most fascinating object that they can see is another human face. The human face is the one that our own brains are pre-programmed to seek out above any other object. And this was proven in a series of very simple experiments in the 1940s by a doctor named Robert Sands. He showed again and again that if you give a baby a choice of a simple line drawing of a face, even without a lot of detail, versus choosing any other black and white graphic image, a checkerboard, a circle, any other shape, the baby will again and again go to the face because that's what we look to for meaning. And we, we look to the human face to understand the, somebody else's intentions, their behavior, uh, the implications, how they're going to interact with us. Do they want to eat us or do they want to greet us or do they want to um, have some other type of message? One of the questions that was uh, per- perplexing excuse me, perplexing for scientists for hundreds of years was the question of why human beings smile. And evolutionary biologists argued years and years at, at, at these huge conferences. It was a major controversy in science about why do human beings smile. Because when other creatures smile, it's growling, it's pulling their lips back from their mouth to bare their teeth and, uh, and show that their intention is anything other than social. Their intention is right. to either say, back off, or I'm about to eat you. And finally, a linguist 
discovered that when we smile, we make the pitch of our voice higher, almost as though we're being playful. When you smile, you make your mouth smaller. Your voice becomes higher, so instead of being authoritative, like, you're being playful and social and deferential and polite. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to see you today. Or when you look at a baby and your eyes coo and you say, hello, baby. <laughs> and we, this is a hardwired response that we find in, uh, there's a, you could do a very simple experiment. When you, when you make the noise that you make when you're greeting your best friend or you're cooing at a baby, when you say, your eyebrows shoot up and your face smiles. You, you, you can't help it because it's hardwired deep in your brain. On the other hand, if you're growling, your mouth, your, your mouth gets smaller and your eyes go down. So your facial expression is directly linked to the intention that you're trying to communicate. And so our, our faces uh, give away so much of what we're, what the, the relationships that we're trying to create. And so you, even, even right now, as I'm talking to you, I'm not smiling. But if I, if I put a smile on my face and I start to talk to you as though I have something I really want to tell you, naturally, neurologically, you start to respond to it as though I'm doing something really fun that you want to be part of. And that's the power of something as simple as a smile. Every second, our brains are processing hundreds of pieces of information about the person that we're looking at, their eyes, their smile, their, their, their body language of, of just their face. And that's one of the keys of fascination is tapping into understanding um, how you can use the tools that you already have. You know, Sally, as I was looking through your book, um, the chapter about the media and, and trends that are driving the need uh, for a new form of persuasion hit me, partially because I do have young kids, and my husband and I are already in our 50s, so you know we, we uh, sometimes really have to struggle to put our heads around you know their world because it's so different than ours. Um, right. the, you know yeah. the media has such a huge, huge impact on them, and and you know they spend so much time with media. And you know I I take a look. Although we try to keep them off of the internet, you know they will invariably find themselves on YouTube and look at those uh, just bizarre movies by the guy named Fred. I don't know if you've seen that, uh, but but there there's just so much out there trying to capture our attention. So what actually can penetrate and get through? When something activates one of these seven triggers, whether we want to pay attention or not, we can't help it. We become immediately sucked in. And in a world that's completely oversaturated, a world in which we're overwhelmed, constantly bombarded with stimuli, everything from uh, iPhone apps, LinkedIn requests, Facebook friend messages, all of these messages coming out of a thousand miles an hour, it's only the things that activate these primal instincts that, um, that, that cause us to shift our direction of our attention. Um, if you're in, a, in an incredibly cluttered environment, say for you're in traffic and you see the um, ambulance sirens behind you, uh, it doesn't matter how much you don't want to focus on it, you, you, you do because that's what I call the alarm trigger. It's danger and urgency. It's prompting you to act quickly. If you are, um, if you're, if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at a menu and you can't decide what to order and there's something that reminds you of your mom's favorite dish when you were growing up, maybe it's an ingredient or a style of preparation, you, uh, that's the trust trigger. It, it evokes 
a sense of um, familiarity for you that, that you want to order that. And so as we're developing products, the more that we can try to design those products to elicit a certain response from a certain trigger, the more successful the product will be in overcoming um, the pollution that surrounds the products, um, whatever it's competing against on the shelf or in its advertising. Very interesting. And, you know, I mean, I know, uh, again, in our own household, the things that tend to capture my attention are, are those that, that allow me to get to that place of trust and relax and uh, and the things that get through to me. Um, so how, as you're crafting messages, how do you evaluate whether something is, in fact, fascinating? And, and you know, is there an easy way? You've, you've given us some great words that uh, talk about the, the lust trigger and the alarm trigger and the trust trigger. What about power and, and mystique and vice? And I must be missing one other one. Uh, I think it was alarm. Um, well, first of all, what I'd like, I'd love to be able to uh, in, invite your group to take the F-score test for free. The F-score is your, it helps you figure out your fascinating score, the ways in which you individually fascinate your own personality. What are, which natural strengths do you have when you're, when you're being your most naturally persuasive? And you can do the test at sallyhogshead.com slash F-score, as in fascinate score. And it only takes three or four minutes, but um, it, it reveals a lot of information about, about yourself that you may not already know. People who use, for example, people who use power as their primary trigger tend to have a, a, a real sense of authority and confidence. They persuade by coming from a position of strength. They tend to like to be leaders. They're very uncomfortable when they're in a position of not being able to make decisions. So if you have an employee that their primary trigger is the power trigger, you definitely don't want to micromanage them. You need to give them a sense of, of being a leader within within their own job, even if they're at the entry level. Otherwise, they absolutely will not succeed. On the other hand, if you have somebody that's all about the trust trigger, these people tend to be very consistent. They like to have predictability. They like stability. They like to know exactly what's going to happen next. They want to stick to a schedule. They don't like to deviate. They don't like surprises. They like to color within the lines, and they feel very gratified by um, setting a goal and then having a methodical progress towards that goal. Um, in the third instance, you, you mentioned mystique as a trigger. People with the mystique as their primary trigger, um, they, they don't like to share too much with people. They, they, uh, they, they, they're very intriguing. They make us curious to learn more because they don't put it all out there. They're, they tend to be the type of personality that has, um, they only have a few friends, but those friends are very, very close. And everybody else can, might have a very difficult time reading them. They probably don't have really overt facial expressions. If you're managing somebody who uh, uses mystique as their primary trigger, you don't want to put them in a position of leading meetings or doing door-to-door sales. On the other hand, the lust trigger is the one that tends uh, – my prediction would be power and lust would be this group's most prevalent triggers. And um, power <laughs> – the power-lust combination, I have to tell you, I will confide in you, is my favorite type of combination because people with uh, power and or lust in their triggers, they, they're very likable. They have, they have strong personalities, but they're very warm personalities. They love community. They like to build groups. They, they're intensely gratified by leading from a position of passion 
and, um, and, and empathy, thinking what other people want instead of just thinking about what their own personal goals are. Um, Chiki, if you, you haven't done the test yet, right? I haven't, but uh, I just I uh, so sent it out on my Facebook link, so if anybody is following me on Facebook, you'll have it there, and then I'll also put it on Egg at the end. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. In fact, what I'll do if you if um, when you take the test at the end, there's a place where you can put in a code, and I'll set it up so anybody who does the test um, from this point forward with with um, give me a chicky c h i c k e that's your code. When you do the code, chicky, I'll send you what the results are so we can find out if my hypothesis is correct that okay. your group is supposed yeah, to or you, you could do egg if egg? you have a short one, just e g g. Okay, great. Which so is the executive girlfriend's group. And, uh, and, and I can show you. We've had almost 20,000 people take the test, um, so it's, and that's only been in the last four months. So it is, um, it's the kind of test that help, helps you understand the way that you're naturally fascinating. Wow, I can't wait to take it now. But you're you're right. I mean, I, I look at, at power, and when you first hear that as a trigger, you think, oh, well, you know, I don't want to be that one. But but actually, that is how I communicate, you know, the the walking into a room and establishing, uh, you know, the, that I'm a, an authority in a particular area, and, and I, I do uh, come off with a very confident personality. But the interesting thing is that, Almost always, the people who I'm closest to now will invariably, sometime over the time that they know me, admit that when they first met me that they didn't like me. <laughs> oh, you're intimidated? Yes, yes. I, you know, that, that, that's a very common part. Uh, that's something I see a lot with the power trigger. It's a double-edged sword. Um, and if the, the power trigger is one that's absolutely essential for generating respect. There, the other triggers can generate likability. Um, Lust, lust creates likability, mystique will create curiosity, um, uh, trust will create familiarity and, and comfort. But power is the one that we as women, um, sometimes we undercut our own power because we feel like uh, many of us were raised in an environment in which uh, it, we were more encouraged to not exert our power trigger, even if that's the one that innately is, is primary in our skill set. And um, I, I think as, uh, honing the craft of effectively using your power trigger in a way that, um, that may sometimes alienate but adds substance, depth, and credibility to our pursuits is one of the most important things that we can do as executives. So talk to me about vice. We haven't talked a lot about that one. Vice is a fabulous trigger. Vice is a what creativity and innovation comes from. Anytime that you look, it, when you look at a situation and everybody sees it one way, but you see that you could solve the problem in a slightly different way, or you see that by changing something, even just 10 degrees this way or that way, you could create an entirely different result. When you tweak a recipe, when you invent a, a, a marketing tagline, when you, when you find a new way to put a combination of things together, you're using the vice trigger. Vice is about changing the rules, about pushing boundaries, reinventing the things that we take for granted. When uh, we were talking earlier about Apple, Steve Jobs uses the vice trigger constantly because Microsoft puts the status quo expectation out there. As the 800-pound gorilla in the category, Microsoft has told us what, what a computing platform is. 
And Steve Jobs came in and said, well, actually, no, it's not that. It's something like this over here or a telephone. <laughs> it doesn't have to be that. It could look like this over here. And um, so we see the vice trigger not only with comedians and artists and uh, um, late-night talk show hosts, but it's also used by mavericks and people who are counterculture, people who use creativity in an effective way. So vice is my secondary trigger. Power is my primary. Vice is my secondary, meaning that um, I'm constantly looking for ways to be independent and ways to be irreverent so that I'm, I'm not the same as everybody else. Oh, I, you know what? I'm thinking that that's going to be my number two. It could be. It's a good <laughs> I am definitely the maverick. Definitely. Maverick is good. I mean, the vice trigger is one that um, is incredibly useful when it comes to something like uh, product innovation or um, finding finding a way to reinterpret a small company and position it against a bigger company. When you don't have as much money as you need in a marketing budget, you need to find a way to use it um, in, a, in an unexpected way to, to get people talking, to develop buzz. That, that's where vice is really handy. The downside of vice is that it's the opposite of trust. Vice mm. is um, the people who use vice as their primary trigger tend to be really fun, really experimental, really interesting, but also very erratic. And uh, sometimes, you know, you know that friend that you make a day and you never know if they're actually going to show up or you have an employee that um, – you give them a deadline, you don't know if it's really going to meet what you had discussed in the initial meeting. It's not undependability. It's that they, they color so far outside of the lines that we, we never know exactly what we're going to get from them. And so as with any trigger, when if your primary trigger is vice, you need to consider times when it's appropriate to fold in the trust trigger to, um, to, to give a ballast. So we haven't talked much about prestige. Well, let's do. Prestige is, um, prestige is also probably a common trigger um, among this group. People who use, people and brands that use prestige as their primary trigger are very ambitious. They're goal-oriented. They tend to garner a great deal of respect because they elevate themselves and their message above the people around them. Their dynamic is that they make us aspire to be like them. Um, brands like uh, Armani, for example, is prestige and power. Or um, um, I worked with uh, Godiva. That's, Godiva uses prestige in that it's highly aspirational with lust, which is the qualities of the chocolate itself. Um, people who use prestige, they tend to be a little bit inaccessible because they, uh, they, they, remove, they, they keep part of themselves removed because they're very focused on a goal, but at the same time, they, they create track records and results that many of us envy. You know that person that you meet that um, in a group that you admire them, but you might have a little trouble feeling close to them. That that that's usually the prestige trigger at work. Very very interesting, and I don't know if I've missed any of them. I've got some notes here about each of them, so I think we've we've talked through most of them. I'd like to uh, you know get to the place where we can uh, you know have a little dialogue with with the folks who are on the phone. The last oh, yeah. thing, though, I would like to, to ask you before sure. we, we shift to that is um, one of your early chapters in part one of the book um, is about, uh, again, this whole fascination score. And then once you know where you are, how do you apply that fascination 
to both your own personal brand and, you know, potentially how, how do you determine a, a company's brand? It's an excellent question, and there, I have, there are two separate answers about how you would apply it to yourself and how you would apply it to your brand. And since we've talked a lot about the personal brand and how you use it in your own life, maybe this would be a good transition to talk about how you use yes. it in a message or a product. Uh, every trigger creates a specific different response. Power uh, allows you to control. Prestige elevates you above. Mystique draws people closer to you because they're curious. They seek you out. Um, the alarm trigger creates urgency. It makes people act quickly because it imposes some kind of a potential negative consequence, like buy now, sale end Saturday, only three left at this price. Um, it's what infomercials are founded upon or right. the type of sale that's only for an hour. Um, it, it, once you can identify the, the response that you want to create from your customer, um, you, you can figure out which trigger will help you get there. And I explain that, I explain it in great detail in the book, how to apply each one of the triggers. Um, but to use an example. Yes, and and it, I was just going to say, part three of the book is the fascination plan of attack, how to make your own message more fascinating. Mm -hmm. So it, it does get very, very intensely practical at that point. It does. Um, the, 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 the trigger that is most effective, if I were going to pick one of all of them, it would be the lust trigger because... Um, especially in an economy in which we feel threatened and we understand that, we're, that it's intensely competitive and there are, there's a finite number of dollars that we're competing for with every proposal we write or every customer we're trying to recruit, sometimes we can get into fear mode where we put our head down and we become so practical that we forget that really at the end of the day, it's all about that human smile. It's about the face. It's about the eye contact. So even if you can't be in the same room as somebody when you're trying to recruit a new employee or, or get a new customer, any way that you can add more of a human presence, the, the, the more persuasive your message is going to be. Having video on your website, um, having, um, using, using color when you're able to, uh, uh, calling on the phone instead of emailing all the time, using adjectives, creating pictures in somebody's head. If you're selling a product or service, if you can create and an, if you, you can add texture and flavor and, and sensory input around what you're selling, it makes people automatically, instinctively bond to it, even if they don't realize it. And this is the trigger that is um, most useful for getting new customers in the door. One of the things, um, uh, again, at the end of the book, you talk about the Kelton Fascination Study, and you, you answer the question, how much is fascination worth? And I think that this is really what companies are, are going to want to know because, you know, they've, they've gone through all what I'll, what I'll call kind of the fads of, of the, the last decade of, you know, in, investing tons of money in CRM and, and then finding out that they really aren't any closer to their customers uh, than they were 10 years ago. So, you know, what does it, uh, you know, what's the ROI for them to take this approach and to stand back and to say, okay, you know, I have got a lot of messaging going out, you know, in a lot of different directions to my, my customers, my members, my guests, uh, and, and my prospects. So how do I hone that down, you know, to not only make my audience feel fascinated, but to keep them fascinated with me? Outstanding question. The more fascinating your product, the more people are willing to pay for it. 
plain and simple. In our study of a thousand people around the country, over and over, we ask them, uh, we, we ask them to compare products in uh, across all different types of categories. And the more fascinated somebody is by a product, the more that they feel attracted to it, physically, emotionally, intellectually, the more that product is worth to them. So if you can increase the level of fascination in your product or service, you can charge more money for it, even if you don't change the basic utility of the product. Um, a, a website offering may still be a website offering. A, 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 a travel service may still be a travel service. But if you can make it fascinating, either by using alarm or prestige or lust or mystique, people will pay more money for it. They will be more loyal to it. They'll, they'll talk about it more. You'll get more free media. You'll get more buzz. They'll, they'll, they'll stick with you even if your competitors lower their own prices because you're not selling on the basis of price any longer. You're selling on the basis of something that's far more primal and instinctive. You're selling on the very core of why people buy things. And they buy things because they're fascinated by them. Women will pay more to be fascinating than they spend on food and clothes combined. Women will pay up to $338 a month, over 15% of their take-home income on average, in order to be more fascinating. So companies that can help people feel fascinating or feel fascinated by their own lives by injecting some type of experience into the product or service that they sell will be extraordinarily successful because they'll stop competing on price and they'll stop, start competing on the basis of fascination. Well, great. Well, I am going to open it up for questions and comments because uh, I, I have been, uh, dare I say, fascinated <laughs> by, by the whole topic, and and uh, you know I can't wait to read uh, the you know the book from start to finish and to begin to apply it not only to my own personal communication, but I, I've got a couple of initiatives that are underway that uh, I'm trying to reshape uh, a message that I've been trying to tell for for uh, three years. Uh, uh, particularly to the travel mapping and navigation industry, Ow. and I'm not fascinating anyone yet with it. And 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 the the message itself should be fascinating, but I clearly need to recast it. So uh, can't wait to apply that. Oh, very so, cool. So let's uh, let's open it up for questions and comments. Who's going to be first? Are you guys still on mute, or are you just all feeling very quiet this Friday afternoon? It's Veronica. I actually took the test, and I do find it pretty fascinating, and the results are the results were pretty interesting for me. Uh, not exactly unexpected, but, um, but interesting, and kind of reading through the results and how to start applying, uh, you know, with my – personality is and my personal brand is it was pretty okay. interesting good i'm glad you enjoyed it would you be comfortable sharing your triggers or would you rather not i can let's see it was the number one was lust Woo! Uh, <laughs> and, and veronica also writes a blog about food and uh, about dining. So I, I think, uh, Veronica, I can absolutely see uh, the the lust quotient in how you describe uh, the whole dining experience. Right. Yeah, me too, obviously. Uh, great. Uh, what was secondary? The power and advice. Oh, that's awesome. 
So people who have that combination tend to be highly experiential. That they they don't like to just talk about something. They like to they like to deeply engage with it. They like to really do it. But be, your power trigger means that you do it in a way where you, you don't do it with complete abandon. You have a, a sense of stature in the way you go about it, and um, you don't lose yourself in it. You um, you very constructively engage with it. And the um, dormant vice trigger means that. Um, that you're uncomfortable in situations that have no rules. You like to have a bit more structure and um, that uh, you're more inclined to go with experiences that um, are in line with something that you already know. Yeah, that's right on the money. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. That's very cool. Great. Okay, do we have any other comments or questions? Just a comment. Well, I, I would like – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, just a comment. I'm so excited to go take the test. I'll probably do it this evening. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to do that, too. And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering whether it's it's possible, um, you know, again, to, to kind of take this on behalf of your brand as opposed to personally. I haven't seen the questions yet, but uh, I can think of uh, – of one of my clients who is is uh, has fairly recently rebranded, and uh, you know who's trying to figure out uh, you know kind of their strategic way forward, and so it would be interesting to try to answer it with their with their company hat on. It, it would be really interesting. I think that the test right now is that this particular test, this escort, is written very specifically for personalities, and I think it might be a bit difficult to do it on behalf of brands. But we have another one coming up. Um, that we have one coming out for brands, it's the brand F score, and we have one coming out for sales, for sales people. Okay. Um, I'll figure out in their in their sailing technique, how do you pinpoint what your what what your target customer, um, what will fascinate them, so you can you can craft your pitch that way. Oh, I love that. Well, you you need to make sure to let us know when uh, when those are active because I I uh, know a number of our egg members who. Uh, are responsible uh, for the branding and marketing side of the business and would like to be able to use that. Wonderful. Um, well, th that's great. I'm um, I'm taking this weekend to work on that. I'm also here at my parents' home celebrating their 55th wedding anniversary. Oh, my goodness. That's great. Yes. And you can probably... Now, Sally, you live in Orlando, don't you? I do. I do. And I, I love hearing that there are other people on the call who live in that part of of the country. Oh, I yeah. Well, actually, we've got a lot of Floridians on, on the call today. Um, in fact, everybody but Veronica is in Florida. Michelle uh, is in the Orlando area. Rebecca and I are, are over in Tampa. And then um, and Carolyn is in is in um, the Miami area, just a little bit north. Oh, Miami. that's so great. Shout out for the Floridians here in our heat wave. Oh, yeah. So where do your parents live? They live in Jacksonville. My parents live, I'm, I'm sitting here in my the bedroom that I grew up in since I was Three. It's still oh, my bedroom. <laughs> it's awesome. That is awesome. Well, um, Sally, on your um, on your profile on the Executive Girlfriends Group site, um, there is a place, and I'll just update it for you. Uh, but there's a place to put your your um, URL for your company. So I will put uh, the place where people can go take the test. Yes. And slash F score. Why don't you put it, send them directly to the test so that they don't get lost. 
Great. I will do that, and then I'll send a note out to, to the membership at large and tell them to take it with the code EGG, and then uh, it'll be fun to see the, uh, oh, the results. Oh, yes, I'll see the results. Yeah, and then uh, we actually are planning a um, an egg event in Orlando soon. In fact, Veronica, aren't you coming down for, for something soon? I'll be in Orlando September uh, 11th through 14th. Okay, and then you're here again in October and November, I think you said. Yes, both months. Yeah, I think uh, first part of October and then uh, first week of November. Okay, well... Um, Sally, we will definitely let you know when we're going to get uh, the group together in Orlando, and it'll either be in September or October. And uh, would love to, in, you know, just have you participate with our group whenever, whenever you can. I'm, I'm also currently looking for a speaker for the Executive Women's Forum at a major industry conference uh, in the spring. So I would love to talk to you about that because I think uh, the group at large would just really uh, be engaged uh, in, in the topic, again, both personally and professionally. And I think it would be fun to have all the attendees take the, uh, uh, take the test uh, both on their own behalf and then, uh, of course, by then you will have your, um, uh, your business uh, version of the F-score. So yes. that well, would that's be great fun. About that. I'm so grateful to you for inviting me to join you uh, to be part of this. I think there, it, it's so important right now, especially um, – to, to be able to get the kind of peer-to-peer mentorship and to be able to feel like all of us in our own careers, we're constantly, um, whether we're in a stable job position or we're, uh, we're recreating something happening in our own life, all of us need to be able to have other women that we feel close to and safe with that we can um, describe our, our failures even more so than our successes and the, the challenges that so we can get that input, and I really admire that you're creating that here. Well, we uh, certainly are, are trying to provide a, a way that women can learn more uh, about themselves, about business opportunities, about relationship, about leadership, about innovation and, and marketing, and, and so that's uh, one of the reasons why we've organized our calls by topic, and uh, uh, right. I just appreciate so much how you were able to bring your topic down to both the personal side of life and, and also to, to business, because uh, again, we've got a mixture of people who are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, uh, in-between successes. Uh, as well as corporate uh, leadership. So um, we have a lot of different people who apply things uh, differently in their own lives. So uh, yeah. it was just great, great fun. And, uh, you know, you're you're welcome to uh, join us anytime you want. Um, oh, I'm going to update your profile with your picture and, and also with the cover of your book so that ah, uh, people will be able to relate. Uh, to who you are and then sometime either later tonight or tomorrow morning the audio version will be available both to our members and then we also update it on Blog Talk Radio uh, and make that available with commercials uh, outside of our membership so I'll send you those links and uh, again I can't wait to meet you Uh, we're too close not to meet soon so we will try to organize that Uh, that's great thank you so much Chicky. thank you everybody Okay, great. Thanks so much. And uh, we will be turning off the recording at this point because what's set on the egg call stays on the egg call. <laughs>